epitch.org. Entrepreneurs telling their stories, giving us a better understanding of the entrepreneurial experience. Pitch Fast 30. What is your full name? Well, I'm Bill Billions, and that's William Jason Lane Billions. And growing up, my family and friends called me Jason. And then as I got older, I started going by Bill. Okay. Age, you started your first business. When I was in my 20s, I started a company called Flint River Films. And I had that desire in me to make movies. So I called up an attorney and he filled out the paperwork, submitted it to the Secretary of State, and I never made a penny. But I had great ambitions. And a great so start. A great start, that's right. You gotta start somewhere, right? You gotta start somewhere. Yeah. All right, what, uh, what city were you born in? I was born in Huntsville at the Fox Army Hospital at Redstone Arsenal. One thing most people don't know about you. I'm a professional scuba diver. Have a Patty Dive Master license. Okay. Religious, spiritual, or neither? I'm Christian. Multitask or single task? <laughs> I multitask way too much. I'm juggling so many things at one time and it's hard to get them all done, but plow through. Introvert or extrovert? Oh, I'm both. I'm very shy. I love to spend time by myself. You, you put me in a library, give me a book to read or write or watch a movie, I could be alone for hours. But get me in a crowd and I'll just be life of the party and talk to everybody. I was expecting extrovert only on that. Well, I know. From uh, you, people so. assume actors are extroverts, and we, we learn to be, and we are, but we can be very, especially film actors, can be uh, alone a lot also. Okay. Favorite vacation spot? Around here, I always love going to Gatlinburg, and uh, then I love going to Hawaii. Favorite type of movies? Film noir. That's easy. 1930s, 1940s, from the Warner Brothers gangster movies of the 30s spilling over into the film noir style of the 40s. Favorite movie of all time? I always say The Big Sleep. This is hard for me because I love so many, and I've seen thousands. But I always say The Big Sleep because that's kind of the high mark of the film noir style, and it's got Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall, and... It's, uh, and it's so beautifully shot, and it's very romantic, and lots of action. Finish. Who's your favorite actor? Again, you know, I go in, in generations. For the 30s, I would say Jimmy Cagney. For the 40s, I would say Humphrey Bogart. Loved Harrison Ford for my generation. And then uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman was an actor's actor. Uh, very technical, everything he did. I could list names of people forever. Love Robert Duvall. He's so natural, everything he does. I knew that would probably be hard to narrow It's it hard. It's hard. One. I mean, you know, I can just say Humphrey Bogart, but, you know, if I'm thinking about acting style or if I'm thinking about different ranges or, yeah, it's, they're just many. Uh, favorite actress? That's even harder. I often say Ida Lupino, which is a name some people don't know from that same period. I could say Lauren Bacall, but I tend to prefer her when she's with Humphrey Bogart. I could say Eva Marie Saint, if you think about her in North by Northwest. Love Vivian Lee, what she did in Gone with the Wind, and then what she did all those years later 
in um, Streetcar Named Desire. Then later, Sissy Spacek, just another actor's actor. Uh, for for a, a more contemporary, Kate Blanchett, very amazing actress. All those people that can do anything. But I can answer this question for the next hour if you want. <laughs> All right, um, well, uh, what's your favorite TV show? MASH, easily. Grew up watching it with my dad, so it's very sentimental. Uh, I think it's the smartest sitcom ever made. All the characters were fully developed. They had very high drama in it. You know, uh, it's a comedy, but there's death. There's, there's, they're always doing surgery in every episode, and uh, it, it very intelligent writing, witty characters, and uh, fully developed characters. Sunrise or sunset? Sunrise. I like getting up in the in the morning. I tend to wake up before six, usually between four thirty and five thirty. And I, I'm up before the sun and love watching it come up. Book, TV, or phone? Book, easily. I'm a reader. Uh, I was a reader for all my time growing up because you know you and I grew up before you had easy access to movies, right? So the only way to see a movie was to go to the movies. Uh, I, we didn't even have VCRs when we were kids. So I grew up reading, and I still love reading. I still read every day. I still read a lot every day, even though I also watch at least one movie a day. So I love books. Okay. Dog or cat? Dog. Favorite entrepreneur? Richard Branson. He's got such enthusiasm. He's like a kid, and he, he says he named it Virgin because it's like, I'm going to try something new, and I don't know anything about it. So it was Virgin Records, and it was Virgin Airlines. And you're like, dog, man, you just pick something and go out and do it, and then you become amazing at it. And he's also positive. He's positive. On every yes, single. Yes, he has the best attitude. And he owns an island. It's kind of nice. <laughs> that, that is kind of nice. <laughs> uh, favorite city? Los Angeles, hands down. Favorite activity? Hiking right now. This is my new thing. We just moved up against the uh, land trust, Huntsville Land Trust. And so we can go out the backyard and up into the trails. Oh, that's nice. 7,000 acres, 70 miles of trails. I did it today. I did it yesterday, day before. I'm, I'm going about up to two hours a day. Wow, that's great. And I just saw deer today. I got some video of it. Okay. I mean, what's not to love? Do you have a hobby? Reading. It's funny. People would think it's movies. Well, of course. I watch a movie a day. I write about movies. I live in movies. But I love reading. Uh, I think that's the anchor for everything else for me. What is one of your pet peeves? I don't know. I'm a pretty easygoing guy. So I believe in forgiveness. I believe in uh, being hopeful and joyful and just like letting it go. If, if somebody cuts me off in traffic, now I, this has taken me years to get to. Believe me, when I lived in Los Angeles, <laughs> I could get angry. But I've learned. I've learned to be very patient. You know, it comes with, with growing up. <laughs> but uh, I don't think I have any pet peeves. I'm, I'm not saying that I never, you know, have moods. I'm, I'm moody like everybody, but. Right, and uh, I think pet peeves is something that's going to be more than something that's annoying. So yeah. maybe some of these that may have been pet well, peeves Well, the word pet, time. you know, means like I like having the peeve. It's my favorite peeve, and I enjoy getting off on it. And, and I don't want to be like that. I'm like. I want to let it go. Right, let it go. Plan or spontaneous? Oh, I'm funny, man. I plan ahead, and then I change my mind at the last minute. 
And, and so I have a calendar and I've got all this stuff written down and then I wake up and do something else. So I end up being spontaneous. A planner, but spontaneous. Yeah. <laughs> Late or early? I'm early. Did you grow up rich, poor, or middle class? Middle class. You know, good ranch house in Huntsville. Going to public school. Very normal. Describe yourself with three words. So when I saw this, I wrote down hopeful, and I haven't written down two others. Maybe joyful, kind. Uh, I mean, I, I strive to be. I don't, I'm not trying to say, oh, look at me, I'm so. But I, 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 I feel like that, that's very true. I really believe in kindness and uh, being good to people. Well, and one other thing that you just said uh, was forgiving. Yeah. So uh, maybe four words. Okay, thank you. I tell you, it is the most liberating thing in the world. And I've had people hurt me pretty deeply. Yeah. Pretty deeply. And so, you know, it's not necessarily an instant thing. It's a commitment. You say, okay, I'm going to... And you may have to not have them in your life even. But I'm going to choose to forgive them. And then the next day, the emotions come back. And you say, no, I'm going to choose to forgive them anyway. And you do that day after day after day for a while. And then one day... It, it, it takes, it sticks, and, and it's the most liberating thing. If anybody's listening to this that's got a grudge, I'd say get rid of it. I mean, all that does is eat you up. It doesn't, it doesn't, there's no such thing as getting revenge on them. It's just hurting you. So you might as well let it go. Right. And you're hoping that people, for, that's the thing, is that we need forgiveness. Like, how many people do we hurt? And we just forget about it and like, la, 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 you know. But how many people are out there that are holding a grudge against me? And I don't even know about it. Right. Well, I hope they forgive me because whatever it is, sorry, you know. Right. Just let it go. Apple or Android? We have Android, Galaxy, Samsung Galaxy. Um, we've never had Apple. Republican, Democrat, or Independent? I don't tell anybody, but I'm very strong on one of those. And I vote and I, I listen. I listened to the entire Mueller hearing this week. I listened to all of the speeches of the DNC and the RNC in 2016. I'm watching the, uh, of course, it's mainly the Democrats right now because you assume it's going to be Trump for the Republicans. So I keep up with all that, and I care about it. So you're a smart voter. And I keep my mouth shut. I'm a very smart voter. I, and because, because uh, unfortunately... Our society is so torn right now that, and in the film industry, it's especially dicey because you know people are very politically active and there's just a lot of anger in our country that we don't need to have. I'll tell you, you know what I tell my students is y'all need to respect the president no matter who he is. And if it's Obama, you need to respect him. If it's Trump, you need to respect him. And there's a lot of people failing in both of those. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, this office is demands our respect, and I don't care. Like all the things that people use are superlatives. They're not. They're not accurate. Whether you say Obama's the Antichrist or Trump is the reincarnation of Nixon or whatever, that's just stupid. Right. They're just. They have a point of view that may be different from yours, and just let them do their thing. And four years later, you can vote them out. If you think about it, in our lifetimes, we've gone from back and forth: Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat. From, like, let's say. Nixon to Ford to Carter to et cetera, Reagan. It's 
back and forth. And the country can sustain that. Just let it be. Yeah, and I think you're right. On yeah. that. That's the thing is, is I mean, we have an election every two years. Sure. Things change. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, you know, and respect to Congress too, you know, so like, you know, it, people that are that are so ugly towards Trump right now, then there are other people that are going to be ugly towards uh, Schumer or Pelosi. And I'm like, just like pray for your country. Of course, be intelligent about it. Uh, know what you're doing, but but we need to be kinder to each other. And do you love what you do? Oh, absolutely. I'm so happy. I found my calling. You know, I love movies. I love writing. I love reading and writing. I love watching movies and writing about movies. I love acting. I love teaching acting. I love producing and directing. So I'm very blessed. And that's what you're doing. That's what I do. Living, yeah. You are living your I'm dream. I'm living my dream. You know, we just ate at Big Ed's Pizza tonight, and they just came out with a new pizza called the Bill Billions. And I said, I mean, how lucky am I? And they, they wanted to honor me for being Huntsville's actor, filmmaker guy. And I said, well, this is like the fulfillment of a dream, right? Yeah, yeah. So That's, that's, that's so cool. great. Yeah. All right, well, there you have it. Bill's E-Pitch Fast 30. discuss Bill and his entrepreneurial experiences. So Bill, your business is Hollywood Huntsville. Can you tell us what you do? I know it's an acting school, a film school, a casting agent. Casting office. Casting office. Yes. Uh, and you have workshops. So can you kind of explain all of that? Uh, I the sure best can. That you can. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. uh, kind of a lot. So the Bill, the Bill Billion Studios at Hollywood Huntsville is a long title, and so we call it Hollywood Huntsville for short. It's four things. It's an acting school, a film school, a casting office, and a production company. We separate the words casting from agent because there are casting directors who are hired by a production, and then the agent is hired by the actor. So if you want to think about it, the casting directors are kind of like the HR or the hiring manager at a, at a company. And the agents are kind of like your headhunter. And so the casting director is trying to find actors for the film or the TV show. And the agent is shopping around actors. So whenever you put casting and agent together, it confuses people. That's why we always separate. Okay. So what do we do? Um, the acting school is like the bread and butter foundation and we teach a professional acting program on Sundays from about 1 p.m. to 10 p.m. or so. Then we have other classes during the week. We have some improv classes and, and just for fun type classes, voiceover, uh, kids classes, and various things like that. What we do in the professional program is we teach people how to act on camera, which is very different from how to act on stage. People who act on stage often are very big and expressive. And that's why I mentioned to you that film actors can be actually more introverted than stage actors. Sometimes you think of an actor, you think, well, this is a person who's so big, has such a huge personality, and they just have to express themselves and, and get attention, and so they become an actor. Well, that can happen a lot on stage. On film, it's small. And 
so we have to teach people how to be little like don't make big faces don't do jazz hands don't uh, do big expressions you don't have to project to the balcony you're in a small space you have a microphone and you need to speak like a normal person at a normal volume in a normal situation and and act as naturally and real as possible so that so the first thing we do is we teach people how to act on camera that is something that not many people teach in America. Most people are drama teachers and they teach stage acting. Then we help people with their careers. We help them get good quality agents. There are some good ones in Atlanta and Nashville and New Orleans. And then we have uh, an agency in Birmingham, an agency in Mobile. So there's a couple here in Alabama. And we help people get great headshots and resumes and teach them how to audition, whether they go live, which you might do, you might drive to one of these cities, or how to take themselves at home, or they can come to our studio and take an audition. And then we give them career support throughout their career. So that's the acting school. The film school is, we call it Film Lab, and it's a group of people that get together and we just film things. We write our own scripts, we use our own actors, and we have our own cameras and lighting, we scramble to get props, and then we, we film, and we do that every week. Then the casting office, we call that uh, Ayoka Billions Casting. We put that under Ayoka's name, and she does most of the work. I do some casting kind of below the radar. Uh, we are busy enough that sometimes I'll cast the whole movie by myself, but usually I'd say 90% of the casting she does. And there are actually enough jobs that come to Alabama or are somewhere in the South that, that she works pretty steadily. Uh, they just made, an HBO just made a movie in Scottsboro and Brittany from Alabama Shakes just made a music video in Decatur. She did the casting for both of those things. And then there's all kinds of up and coming filmmakers in the area and she's casting for them. She's cast jobs out of Los Angeles, Chicago, Atlanta from Huntsville. And then we just did a big Bollywood movie last year. India came to Huntsville because of the Space Center and they wanted to film there. And so they hired us to do their casting and it was amazing. And we did about five or six weeks there in Huntsville and then they took us with them to Orlando filming on the big sound stages at Universal Studios. And we filmed for two or three weeks there. Uh, so the casting office is also a pretty great thing. The fourth thing is the production company and that's our burgeoning part of it is uh, we're currently writing feature film scripts and uh, looking for investors so if anybody listens to this and would like to invest we would love that uh, we've got a feature film script that's kind of in the vein of the Rockford Files with uh, James Garner as Jim Rockford and uh, then what we're going to do is is make it like a, a 90 minute pilot and then hopefully spin it off into a Netflix series or something like that. But we, we're always writing. We're, we always have movies we want to make. We just filmed something about three weeks ago that I think has turned out really well. And then there's something we filmed a couple years ago that just got accepted to Sidewalk. We just got it yesterday. So, so we'll be at Sidewalk Film Festival in Birmingham in August. So Saturday, August 24, we'll be screening that. Okay. Well, and I know, you know, do a lot of writing. I'm sure that there are a lot of ideas. I'm sure you have a very creative mind. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you probably have to just get that all out and 
right at it me. comes gushing. And, you know, you, you have to have a pen and paper with you at all times. I often have pen tucked behind my ear. And I just decided, you know, you know, when you're young, you might think that could look nerdy to people. And then you get a certain age, you're like, I need a pen. So I'm just going to stick it behind my ear. And if people don't like it, I'll say, look, I'm cool and you're not. And I have a pen and you don't. So And I can write down whatever and, I and want. And if I need something, I can write it down. And, and so I, I usually carry a pen and paper with me. Of course, you have your phone, but I like to write in my hand. I do, I do type on my phone. I type on my computer constantly, but, but I, love, I love the feel of a good pen in my hand, I will say. Have you always been interested in this industry? It's funny. When I was a child and my parents would take me to the movies, it was so magical. And back then it was Disney, and it would be things like Herbie the Love Bug, uh, Herbie right. Goes to Monte Carlo, Herbie Goes Bananas, um, Swiss Family Robinson, Blackbeard's Ghost, and then Smoking the Bandit. That was m- just mind-boggling, which of course then spawned the Dukes of Hazard. Those movies were so much fun. They were fun. And then Star Wars. When Star Wars came out, it changed everything. And you would go, we had the University 6 up in North Huntsville on Independence Drive, which is now, I think, a clinic, but uh, the line would be out the door and around the building. And then down here on airport, uh, was it the Westbury? Westbury Shopping. And the line for Star Wars would be wrapped around the entire building. And, you know, people, today's generation, I don't think has any idea what going to the movies used to be like. You, you had curtains. They'd open the, you'd have a, you would have an usher with a red jacket and white gloves and a little uh, flashlight walk you to your seat. And then it would get dark. And, and the, the, the theaters were so huge because there would only be a single or a twin or maybe a three. And so you, you're all watching the same movie and it would seat hundreds and hundreds of people. And the screens were so huge. The curtains would open, you'd see some news and you'd see a short film and you'd see an animated like either Bugs Bunny or Mickey Mouse. And then the curtains would close. And then they'd open again. <laughs> and you'd see our feature presentation. You'd see the, the movie movie. And it was just so exciting. The popcorn was the best. And you couldn't buy you could not buy movie candy anywhere else. That's another thing people don't realize is things like milk duds and raisinets and goobers. The only place you could ever find them was in a movie theater. So that made it special. And there were no VCRs. No DVD players, no Blu-ray, no streaming. So you had to go, unless it was like, you know, ABC, Saturday night at the movies on TV. The only way to watch a movie was in a movie theater. So it was, it was very exciting. Um, have I always been involved in this industry? Here's what's funny. I always wanted to be a writer, so I thought I'm going to be a novelist. In the 80s, the John Hughes movies were very popular. So that would be like uh, 16 Candles, Pretty in Pink. Breakfast Club, About Last Night. And then you had um, John Cusack was making his movies and then Tom Cruise broke out. And I couldn't always relate to that. Uh, all my friends at school were just like into these movies and I'd watch them and I'd, like The Breakfast Club, it's about a bunch of kids in detention. And I'm like, I don't want to go to detention. But they're like, but see, don't you get it? They're all from these different cliques and they're coming together. It's about them coming together. I'm like, well, I already have, I'm already friends with everybody. I'm not in a clique, and I don't want to go to detention. So I don't want to watch a movie about going to detention. So I was kind of weird that way. And I was like, <laughs> I don't get these movies. They don't make any sense to me. Right. <laughs> you know? And so I was, kind of, I was kind of a bit of a sourpuss about 
like all my friends would, you know, we'd go out to a movie and I would hate it. Right. You know? And so I went, <laughs> I went through a few years where I just, I didn't know what to do about it. And then, and, you know, in college I had a roommate that was kind of a movie buff and he had this movie guy where it, it kind of like building a database, you know, you can get into any subject if you start getting into lists of things, database type thinking, you know, it's like, so that was the whole thing before IMDb, before the internet, it, you had a book um, that was like a DVD guide and, or a VHS guide really, it was going to Blockbuster and getting tapes. And, and so he kind of turned me on to that and I was like, oh, I, I can kind of make it into an intellectual game. You know, who was in that, who directed that? And he was a movie buff, so we would watch really great films, and and he kind of got me back into, into that. So I had a conversation with another friend where we realized that film was the novel of our time, and that's when it changed. It's like, I always wanted to be a novelist. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Film is the novel of our time, so if I'm going to be a novelist, why not just be a screenwriter and do the same thing and then, and then film it? And of course I moved to LA and I had to become an actor. And my logic was, if you live in Los Angeles, why wouldn't you at least try it? I met so many people who were born and raised in Los Angeles who had never tried acting. I thought, what is wrong with you? How many millions of people around the world would give who knows what to have the opportunity to live in Los Angeles and work as an actor? And you were born and raised here and you're too cool, you can't even try it. I'm like, I'm from Alabama. The idea that I could live in Los Angeles is like the greatest thing in the world. And I can take acting classes and get an agent. I mean, it, it was just magnificent. So what age were you when you got your first role? And, and what was that? Was it like a TV commercial? Or so how my, did you start? My first role as an actor would be kindergarten in a play. And I was an angel in the Christmas play. Okay. And we were up in the balcony. And we were hiding below the wall of the balcony. And so, uh, you know, the heavenly host, uh, is it peace on earth, goodwill to men, right? So the angels appear above the shepherds. And so I just thought this is the coolest. In my brain, this was special effects. We're going to pop up from behind the wall of the balcony, and our parents are going to be so amazed that here the angels are up in, up in the air. Um I did the school plays. I went to Randolph. I said public school earlier. Public school was elementary. And then later I went to Randolph for high school. And I did all the, the school plays there. Did the church plays. In terms of on camera, I'm going to go back. We went to Hornbuckle Magnavox to buy our new color TV. We had a black and white TV that we had gotten from S&H Green Stamps. So I'm throwing <laughs> some stuff at you. I'll bet a lot of people can relate to this. You've saved up your SNH green stamps that you got from Run Dixie, right. and then we got a, a black and white Panasonic TV from that. And then later we, we were going to graduate to color, so we went to Hornbuckle Magnavox to get our color TV. And they had the Incredible Hulk on with Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno. And I sat there and watched that, and that's when I knew I want to do that. I want to do what they're doing. And so the first role I got on camera, I'm going to say. The big thing that really changed for me was in 2003, I believe it was. We could look this up because it was it was the day that uh, John Ritter and Johnny Cash died. One of them died the night before and one of them died the next morning. And I, I had just booked a big Tostitos commercial. And it was 
It was incredible. I was at Danny Goldman's casting studio on on Santa Monica Boulevard below the Hollywood sign. And Danny Goldman had been the voice of Brainy Smurf, and then he had become a casting director. And he was the biggest casting director in Hollywood for commercials. And I had an agent. I just started acting, just start in, in terms of professionally in Los Angeles. I had just taken classes for n- almost a year, not even a year yet. And I had just gotten an agent, and she called and said, I pitched you to Danny Goldman. I'm like, who's that? She told me he's the biggest commercial casting director in town. And it was for Tostitos. And the, do you know what the role was, Charles? A college football fan. <laughs> and I said, I am going to book that role because there is nobody in this town of Los Angeles that could possibly beat me out from Alabama because I know what a college football fan is, and they don't. And you know why? I, I lived in Pasadena just up the hill from the Rose Bowl, and when it was game day, you didn't know it. You could go out on the streets of Colorado Boulevard in Pasadena, and there was no visible or audio sign that it was game day. Completely like, different than the South. And you could go up to people and say, hey, did you know that UCLA's playing in the Rose Bowl today? No. Like, y'all don't know what a college football fan is. You know, we, we start on Wednesday with the RVs and the tailgating. And, and so I, I did. I went and I, I booked that role. And... I remember um, I went into the callback, and they were throwing very difficult things at me. You've got you've got the director, the casting director, producers are in the room, but you have executives from ESPN and from ABC and from Disney, and executives from Frito Lay, and they've flown in from Connecticut and from Plano and from Burbank. They've driven from Burbank, and they're all in the room and they're wearing suits and they're just grouchy because they're thinking. I've got to invest how much money in this young man, and I've got to get a return on my investment. And is he going to lose me money, or is he going to make me money? And that's when you really feel the pressure that's on an actor. And I thought, you know, I'm walking in, la da 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 da, da. and and so I did the I did the audition, and they said, now do it like you're British, now do it like you're a frat boy, now do it like you're a Wall Street banker, now do it like you're redneck. And they kept throwing things seven in a row like that. And I had to, on a dime, switch and switch and switch and switch. And, and I owned them that day. So I booked the role. They flew me first class to Portland, Oregon, because that's where they were going to film it. They picked me up in a limo. So you're coming out of the airplane, and there's that man in his suit and his hat with your name on a card. And you're like, oh, wow, this is amazing. He picks up my luggage for me. He takes it to the car. He puts it in the trunk. He puts me in the limo. They drive me to a five-star hotel, give me a room, and then there's a whole day of just trying on clothes. They call it a fitting. And then, then that night was when, I don't know if it was, I think it was Johnny Cash. It, w- it might have been John Ritter that night before and Johnny Cash the next day. But I'll never forget that. And then, then I went and we filmed for 13 hours for a 30-second commercial on Panavision 35 millimeter film. And that's what it's like, it's grueling. And it's little thing, little thing, little thing. It's, we did two spots, so it's 30 seconds times two, 13 hours. Oh, but I had the time of my life. And that thing ran during college football on ESPN and ABC around the world. And it was the most exciting thing. I'd walk around Los Angeles and strangers would recognize me. I was like, I like this, this is fun. That is really cool. So that was was that your first 
<laughs> on, on, on film? Uh, that's the first professional job I had. That was the first professional job you had. Yeah. Now, I before did. you got there, were you turned down for some other Oh, all parts? the time, yeah. Okay, so, so uh, you know, tr- trying to go through it, you know, it seems like, you know, how many failures do you have before you get success? The, the stat that my teacher told me is that if you audition for 100 jobs and you book two or three, then you have a career. So okay. that's 2.5%. That's so that means 97.5% no, you're still successful. I tell my students that all the time. Now, do you know I booked 5%? So I was twice as good. The standard that she gave me, I was twice as good as that. That still means 95 no's. I remember the very first audition I ever went on. It was such a disaster. Um, I, I was in the room, and the, the guy said uh, he wanted my character to be cool. So I'm thinking Fonzie. You know, I, so I started really putting on, and it was a disaster. You know, I'm like, I, oh, I'm sorry. I started sitting a certain way, and I'm like, hey, yeah, all right. You know, like some guy with a pompadour and right. you know, really stupid, and it's not my personality. And so I was very phony, and, you know, I probably came off as smarmy or creepy or something. And the director actually said, okay, I've seen enough of this guy. Get him out of here. Please bring me the next person. This is the first audition I ever went on in Los Angeles. Oh, no. Get this guy out of here. I've seen enough. (laughs) (laughs) And I tucked my tail between my legs, and I went home, and I thought, oh, no, I'm a failure. And then I got up and did it again. And, oh, yeah, I I have some amazing disaster stories. I've I've had some really terrible auditions. But I have auditioned for somewhere between 2,500 and 3,000 times. Wow. About 2,000 times in Los Angeles, which all of them are live. You drive. I never taped in my apartment. You know, that's a new thing. And so every audition I ever had in L.A. was you drive to the casting office. And and so I had about 2,000 of those. I know every freeway and every exit ramp in five counties in Southern California. (laughs) (laughs) Well... So, when you came back to Huntsville, mm-hmm. did you know that you were going to open up Hollywood Huntsville? Yes. So, you had made your mind out there. Yes. Y'all decided to move back to Huntsville. That's the only reason I would be willing to move, because I wasn't going to give up. This is a beautiful story, uh, and if you have entrepreneurs or prospective entrepreneurs listening, I want them to hear this, because... Uh, most people fail or think they fail simply because they quit. And I told you, when I was out there, I created a company called Flint River Films. I never made a dime. I spent money on setting it up, and I'm paying taxes every year. And I'm losing money. And so I, I folded that. And what happened was I was working as a mortgage banker as a day job to enable me to be an actor. And the mortgage industry tanked in 2008 and 2009. And my company went belly up, ceased to exist, and I lost that job. I was permanent, part-time, flex hours. So I worked around 30 hours a week, and I could flex. So I would usually go in at 6 instead of 8. And then whenever I had an audition, they would let me go. It was the best situation you could imagine. And I did that for almost 10 years. And... Then that job 
stopped happening and we were having babies at the same time, right? So I finally got a new job at a, at a public utility, which was not flexible and it was 40 hours a week and it was dreary. And I started booking the young and the restless and it was creating a, a very difficult situation. I need to be at CBS television studio and film an episode of the young and the restless, but I need to be at my work and they don't want to let me off. And I'd been almost 10 years, so they'll let me off anytime I book something. Now I've got babies at home who don't even see me. And I, I woke up one morning and left the house before my oldest son had awakened. And he's about a year and a half or two years old, two and a half, somewhere in there, he was talking. And I left the house before he had awakened and I went to the day job. I somehow worked it out to go to the Young and the Restless. And then I had to go to my acting class in Santa Monica. And I was on the phone with my wife, and she said, uh, William David asked, when am I going to see Daddy today? And I had to tell him, you're not going to see him. And I couldn't take that. I said, I can't live like this. I have, I have a job that won't, doesn't want to let me go be on a sh TV show, and I'm gone. So to make a long story short, what we did is we said, we took about a year to decide to move back to Huntsville. We decided I had a dream, like literally, I was asleep, and I dreamed, and in my dream, the phrase Hollywood Huntsville came to me, and I woke up and wrote it down, and I said, that's what I'm going to do, and that gave me permission to move home, because I wasn't going to give up on my dream. So what I did is I made it funny in my marketing. I said, what is harder than moving to Hollywood to try to make it in the industry? Moving out of Hollywood to try to make it in the industry. I said, look at me, how stupid I am. I just, I just made fun of myself. I said, I'm moving to Huntsville, Alabama to try to make it. And I, I, made, it, I made it a big joke. Like, I'm so stupid, I'm going to move to Alabama to try to be a movie star. Well, you know, back then there was nothing. There was a show being filmed in Wilmington, North Carolina, and that was it for the whole South. So we get here, and in the first few weeks, you know, I made a big splash in town. I said because it was like, here's this Hollywood guy coming to teach. So I had a good number of students in the beginning. And then once that settled, then I was a local teacher and nobody paid attention to me. And my wife got a job as a nurse. And she was working at a, a, a nursing home. And I started, I started my school and I, I would have two students for the whole week. And we were in the red bleeding money like you wouldn't believe. And and I would go out and, and recruit like very diligently. And I'd come up with two more students. Well, then Sunday came around and the two new students showed up. I was so excited. I'm doubling my clientele from two to four. This is amazing. Well, the two new students came and the, the two old ones quit. We were a revolving door. And I couldn't keep people. Now, part of it was I'm very, I was very rigorous. I'm like, I'm teaching you Hollywood standards. I'm teaching you as if we're Marine boot camp and, and I'm going to make you a great film actor. And people in Huntsville are like, why are we doing this? What am I going to do with it? If I don't move to L.A., there's no point in me even having this skill. And plus, it's too hard and Bill's too tough. You know, they thought it'd be fun. And they showed up and it was work. So the day that was the big test, it was I was about a year and a half into it. And I, I had an office space that I was renting on Lingman Ferry Road. And so we're paying the rent out of my wife's nursing salary. 
And uh, I showed up, and I was there all day long. Not one person came. Not a single student. And I sat there for hours. And Charles, I cried. I sat there and cried, and I said, I'm a failure. I'm a bad father, and I'm a bad husband. And I need to go out and get a real job and take care of my family. Because if I don't take care of my family, I'm worse than an infidel. And so I'm going to give up. And I'm just going to go get a job on the arsenal or NASA or a defense contractor or something. And I got in my car. And I, as I was driving home, something rose up inside of me that said, this is the moment that you've been preparing for your entire life. Years of listening to success motivation tapes, Zig Ziglar and whoever, you know. And it was like this that whole story about that army that went to fight and they went by boat and they arrived to the other land and then the, the general says, burn the boats. And they say, why are we burning the boats? He says, because we're not retreating. We're going to fight and win or we're going to die. And that rose up on the inside of me and I said, I'm either going to do this or I'm going to die. And I doubled down. And it lit a fire in me because I said, I'm going to have to feed my family by being a film acting teacher in Huntsville, Alabama, or we're going to starve. That's, those are the only options. And I went to Dollar General and ran into a man that was buying, looking for some soap. And he said, why don't you go join the Arts Council? And then I went and did that. And then they gave us some information. And then I went and joined the Chamber of Commerce. And I learned some stuff there. And then I met with a lady from the press. And they still had a paper. And so she was with the Huntsville Times. And she wrote an article about us. And we hit critical mass. And we started having students. And we've never looked back. And now, I mean, we've got students. I've got a student that's been spending all week this week the lead on a TV show. I've got a student who went to Poland this year to film the lead or a, a supporting role on a Netflix show. I got a student who just went and filmed in New Orleans with celebrities. I got a student who is in Green Book and it won the Oscar for Best Picture. I'm like, a Hollywood Huntsville student is in a Best Picture Oscar winning movie and they showed him during the Oscars this past year. You're watching the Oscars and there's a Huntsville actor on your TV. Yeah. And, and I mean, we've had, I have over a dozen students who now live in Los Angeles who are from this area. And I've got about that many that have moved to Atlanta or other big cities. And at about two or three years ago, it hit a moment where I realized there's at least one person booking a paying acting job every week. It's incredible. And then, you know, my kids, you know, I've, my son, my middle son's been on The Walking Dead. My oldest son was on The Act on Hulu. Uh, my youngest son was on um, Queen of Sugar. Ava DuVernay, my wife and Ava DuVernay spent a day hanging out, talking. And, uh, you know, they do the, the Hibbets print campaign, the Lunchables print campaign, stuff with Lifeway Christian Bookstores, stuff with Irwin Brothers. It's just, just there's always something going on. Um, but I, I'm so proud of my students. And 
So when you said, do I love what I do? And I said, absolutely. I'm like, that day was the day. And you see, it still affects me emotionally because right. imagine if I'd have quit and gone and gotten a, a desk job, which I know a lot of people listening have desk jobs and they haven't figured this out yet. And it's fine. You know, I, I, I had my desk job for about 10 years and it empowered me to be an actor. So I believe in that too. It's just that that was for me, that was the, that was the fork in the road. It's either you're going to do this or you're not. And I made one of those life decisions that I will never, ever, ever turn back. I will never quit. I will never quit. And you know the funny thing, Charles? When I have new students come, they're so full of hope. And they're, they're so big-eyed and full of they're listening to every word I say. And I know what's going to happen to them because I've done this long enough. Is that at some point, somebody's going to give up and get discouraged. And if I have a starting class of 15 or 20 people one or two or three of them will stipulate. And that's, that's sad. And usually they're not the ones with the most talent. This is what's really sad. I can, I can see talent. And if you give me 10 people and I put them up on camera, I know who is the one who was born with more talent than anybody else. Those always quit. It's shocking. And I will look them in the eyes and I will say, you are talented. You were born with talent. You have amazing talent. They'll either say, thank you, Bill. I know you're just saying that to be nice. Or, oh, yeah, I don't really believe you. Or, I want to do something else in my life. Well, fine. And then there's somebody who doesn't have as much natural God-given talent, but they have a work ethic, and they won't quit. And then they're the ones that end up making it. And you see this every turn. And, and so I'll, I try to instill this in people. The only reason that you make it or don't is you quit or you don't. That's it. There's nothing else. There is nothing else. You either do it, you wake up tomorrow and do it, or you quit. That's it. And so people will say, well, I can't act anymore because my grandmother died or because I broke up with my girlfriend or I lost my job or I'm sick or I have family visiting from out of town or whatever. Seriously. And I'll say, well... Don't you go to work the next day if all those things happen? So why not go to your acting job the next day if all those things happen? And, you know, people, they just get all up in their head and they, they get confused. They get discouraged. They get, and I'm like, you got to have a mind like a steel trap and say, I will not quit. And I will, I will not quit no matter what happens. And I think that's also, you know, when you talk about entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's so many obstacles that can get in your way on different things that you may be doing in life but you got to decide whether you're going to continue yeah and, and try to to make it work or you're, you're just going to give up and, and then that will be the end of it and sometimes you know you're almost over that hump uh, to get to the next issue that may cause you to slow down a little bit but around every corner there's going to be something but you got to get past it and it's going to be your decision whether or not you mm-hmm go forward people get so close and when they quit you're like I can't believe you quit you were so close you were doing great in fact usually when people come to me and say Bill I'm discouraged I'll say why you're doing great you know I will do everything I can to compare this to other things I'll compare it to learning to play the violin 
and I'll say, do you expect that you could be the lead violinist in a Mozart violin concerto this Friday at the Von Braun Center? No, it's going to take you years of hard work, but you, ca you can be in the future. Do you think you could become a brain surgeon in the next few months? No, it's going to take years of practice and, and training. Everybody agrees with me when I give the analogy. And then when it, the rubber meets the road, they're like, Bill, I've been with you six months and I'm not a star yet. I'm so discouraged. And I'm like, when you've been with me 20 years, then we'll talk. Like, you're doing great. Six months, you're a freshman. You know, how many people, <laughs> how many people go to college and they put in half a year as a freshman and then they say, I don't have a, a job yet. They don't do that ever. They say, I'm not going to worry about a job for four more years or five or six. And I'll just hang out and be happy to be studying. I'm like, why can't you do that with me? Come, come train and don't worry about getting an agent or getting a job for four to six years. And, you know, you, you'll probably get one before then, but don't worry about it. Just get good. When you, when you moved from L.A. to Huntsville, do you remember going to the courthouse and setting up your company? Do you remember leasing a building? Do you remember your first day? Yes. So this is so cool, Charles, because Facebook just gave me a memory yesterday, 10-year memory. So it was June 24, I was, sorry, July 24. Is today the 25th? So it was July 24, 2009, where I had said, we're going to have a meeting two days from now on the 26th to talk about this new thing we're doing. So we are literally, tomorrow will be the 10 years from that. Yesterday was 10 years from the announcement. Tomorrow will be the 10 years from that first meeting we ever had. So yes, I do remember that. We bought a building from L.A., a house to live in. So once we knew that we were going to move here, when we would come and visit, we would see some houses. And uh, so there was a house we liked in Five Points, and they took it off the market. So we had decided to make an offer on a different house. And I was driving to work that morning to that public utility. And my wife called, and she was, she was getting ready to call our agent in Huntsville to say, make an offer on that other house. And the house that we liked at first came back on the market, and it was like $20,000 lower. <laughs> and so she missed buying the wrong house by seconds. And so she called me and said, that the house we want is on the market. And I said, oh, get it, get it, get it. So we bought a house from across the country. And it was one of these really gracious – he was one of those guys that's a, a real estate agent, but he does his own flipping, and so he – listed it and bought it himself and he waited for us so we moved here and we moved into the house and we lived there there was a modeling uh, agency in town called Pama Gail Kaufman and she's very sweet and she they they were in five points at the time on Andrew Jackson Way so they let us sublease space in their space on Sundays because they weren't there on Sundays so I could walk from my new house across the street to them and I would set up my little cameras and, and do my thing so the first day what it was that July 26th of 2009 I met with um, I remember there being about eight or ten people and I said here's who I am here's what I do 
And one of the moms of two sisters challenged me and said, well, get them up and teach them right now to prove that you can do this. And I thought, oh. So I said, all right, come on up. I, I had to come up with something. So I started throwing improvisation at them, and, and they ended up having a great time. They looked at me and said, we want to be your first students ever. I've never seen them again. What happened instead was two different sisters came and became my first students. And I do remember the first day of class, I think I had seven, and then a boy joined, and then a man joined, and I had nine. Of that group of nine, two of them live in Los Angeles today and work as actors. Wow, that's exciting. And one of them was on a sitcom with Julia Louis-Dreyfus, uh, Veep. And so that's very satisfying. So we were there. We, we, were at our, we lived on Stevens Avenue. We walked over to Jackson Way, and we talked at Pama for a little bit, and then we rented the space on Linden Ferry. And then one day my wife said, why don't we buy our own house and convert this house on Stevens into our studio? And we did that, and that's still where we teach. And, uh, you know, you drive by, and it's a humble-looking little house. Little, they call it a bungalow. I don't think it's a bungalow. In Pasadena, a bungalow is a craftsman style. Here, it's more like it was, a, it was a duplex that had been converted into a single-family dwelling. But in Hollywood, so many things are done in houses, and people may not know that around here. Casting offices, talent agencies, they'll buy a cute little bungalow in Hollywood, and it's like one of those zoned for both business and residential, so it's a residence, but you could make it a business. So it felt very natural to take a house and make it into a business. Do you remember getting your license? Oh, yeah, yeah. Business license? We um, sent off to the Secretary of State of Alabama. While it you was, were still in L.A.? We, maybe. I'm sorry, okay. I don't remember. But I remember being overwhelmed by it. And I'm going to tell you something. You know, we thought about going nonprofit, and it was so complicated and so overwhelming. And we said, well, let's just file with the Secretary of State and become an LLC. One of the things that we felt like we did right was that we discovered that you could put, when it says, what is your business going to do? We thought, oh, no, if we say teach acting, but then we want to teach film, and then we want to cast, and then we want to produce, you know, we don't want to limit ourselves. We found out you could put a phrase that says anything. Basically, we could do anything. And so I do remember that I was so overwhelmed, and I didn't know how to do the LLC, the, uh, the nonprofit piece of it, that I just said, well, we'll just be an LLC. And all these years of paying taxes, I think, man, you know, <laughs> I wonder. But uh, uh, we had to discover that you have to go to the city and get your business privilege license. And then we discovered you have to do that in the county. And you discover by getting letters from various municipalities, county, state, federal, IRS, Alabama Department of Revenue, you did such and such wrong, and you're like, what? And oh, you realize, and I've got to ta pay tax six ways to Sunday, and nobody told me about all this. Right. But you learn fast, just quarterly tax set aside, and you know, just all the different stuff. But we decided we'll be smart about it, we'll learn, and we'll dot our I's and cross our T's. After we didn't dot them and found out we had to, okay, fine, now we do. And you just learn. And I think that is 
a scary thing it's scary. for people that are thinking about it's scary. It's doing scary. some small business uh, going into it. I think that you know you just got to get started somewhere. Just do it. Just go out and do it. And you are you're going to make mistakes, uh, but you know you have to to learn from those mistakes, and you do kind of have to research and kind of understand where you're going. Charles, listen to this. My dad's a CPA. I'm so embarrassed. I don't know how to keep books. I mean, when I started, right? So I had a man give me such gentle advice. He said, he said, Bill, how are you doing your books? I said, I looked at him sheepishly like I'm so embarrassed. I said, Excel spreadsheet, you know? And I was like, I really don't know if I'm right. You know, I don't, I, I, I don't know if my PL statement, my balance sheet, my cash flow is right. I don't even... I don't know if my credits and my debits are right. You know, I'm doing the best I can. I basically have an Excel spreadsheet. And he looked at me and said, that's okay. He said, you've got to start somewhere. And if that's what you're doing, that's good. Oh, man, it changed everything. I was like, fantastic. Because, you know, I want to do it right. You know, and, I, and right. I was like, and so I'm like reading accounting for dummies and stuff like that. And you just do what you can, you know. And, and, and you're not going to know everything. Yeah. Well, you know, exactly. Uh, that's, that's why you have to kind of go through and learn and – um, and, you know, sometimes you just bite it, you know? You file your taxes, and you're as honest as you know how to be, and you write that big, fat, stinking check. Oh, my goodness. I've spent the whole year putting stuff into savings, and then the IRS bill comes and <laughs> wipes it out. You're like, oh, well, I'm in business for myself. And then they have the nerve to send another <laughs> letter say, well, you didn't pay enough. And you just, you, just, you just learn to deal with it, and you're like, you know what? All of a sudden, I actually feel powerful because I can write a check for five figures to yeah. the IRS and still be okay. Right. And you're like, wow, <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> I just bought a car with my check to the IRS, and I'm okay. I could have paid cash for a BMW, and I no, it wasn't that high. But no, no, hopefully they'll do something for good used, with it. For a used Chevy, and I'm okay, you know? Well, I think that's great kind of listening to that because it does, I think, help people understand to, you know, if you want to do something, go and do it. So yeah, and there, fail. there's ways. Fail. Absolutely. Failing is going to be a great way to learn and I don't had, be scared to fail. I had students tell me I was boring. I had students tell me I was too mean. I had students tell me I was too nice. I had students tell me that I didn't get them up and and do enough acting in the class. I had students tell me that, that I needed to lecture more. I had students that tell, tell me I gave too much attention to other people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then, and then um, in auditioning, I mean, you imagine you're putting yourself out there thinking I have to look a certain way. I have to be handsome or pretty or not fat or in good shape. And, and you, see, you see all these people making it like Channing Tatum from Coleman, who has that body that's just ripped. And so you're doing your sit-ups. And, and seriously, I was doing 1,500 crunches a day for my six-pack. I got a two-pack out of it. And and uh, and then you go and you put yourself out there, and you're not pretty enough, or you're not thin enough, or you're not charming enough, or cool. And, and you're like, you know what? That's okay. And I'll do it again and again and again and again. Well, that's when you learn how to be tough. Is just keep you keep, and I'm doing it to this day. I had I have two auditions I need to do 
uh, right now. And it's every week I'm auditioning still. And, and they're like, makes you strong. Like I said, 95 to 97 and a half will be no. And once you get the math of it and you don't care, then you just say, let me get to another 100 so I can book a couple. Love it. Then it, then it becomes very empowering. Well, let me ask you this. Atlanta has seen a rise in movie productions. Yeah, it's wonderful. So has that been helpful for your business? Tremendously. Well, because there are so many jobs. So as I said, when we moved here, there was one TV show in Wilmington, North Carolina. And I remember in, in the early days, in 2009 and 2010, I would say, what if the South could start doing this, this, and this, and then it all happened? Georgia now makes more movies than California does. Georgia's the number one place in the world for filmmaking. That's right. There's over 60 TV shows filmed there. You have, you have a whole genre of TV show made in Knoxville. They do all those reenactment true crime shows like um, Investigate Discovery Channel, ID Network. Investigate. Those are in Knoxville. You've got music videos and independent movies in Nashville. There's a couple TV shows in Memphis. There's always stuff going on in New Orleans and in Baton Rouge. But Atlanta has got it going on with support from Savannah and then always something in Charleston. So, yes, has that helped my business? Because for the students who live here, I can get them an agent in Atlanta, and they can work in Atlanta. Like, I've, I've been on a Tyler Perry show. Well, that's filmed in Atlanta. I've, I was on a TV movie about Rosa Parks that was filmed in Atlanta, etc. You know, uh, The Walking Dead is Sonoy, which is just south of Atlanta. The act is in Savannah. Uh, the originals, The Vampire Diaries, uh, the, all the Hunger Games were filmed in Atlanta, Fast and Furious. You know all the Marvels are filmed, and not all of them. Sometimes Marvel films around the world. But the sound stages from Marvels in Atlanta, in uh, Fayette, Fayetteville, Fayette County. And there's just an enormous amount of work. I didn't realize that Georgia was now Number doing one. more. Yep. And I would imagine that they're probably the, the tax base is it's probably a lot cheaper yep. to produce a film in Georgia so, than it is in California. So I will get this much into politics. The the studios tend to vote Democrat and behave Republican. Meaning when it comes down to money, people are gonna do what makes sense. And they don't want big taxes. So they're going to go to whatever state or country has the lowest tax rate. And Georgia's killing it. And, and here's something interesting, Charles. Second to Georgia in terms of a great tax situation is Kentucky. And uh, Los Angeles is now making a lot of movies in Kentucky. And I've made three. And Tennessee's skinny, so I can drive to Kentucky in not very much time at all. Right. And... Uh, Kentucky's been very good to our school. So uh, it's all about low taxes. Love it. It's all about low taxes. And and uh, Louisiana had great tax incentives. And our family was driving to Louisiana about two to four times a month for three years. I made a Tom Cruise movie in Louisiana. I had a son on a movie that Pierce Brosnan's son directed. 
I had I had a son on, on a CW TV show called Starcast. Um, I made a TV show called Underground on WGN in Baton Rouge. Uh, I'd mentioned my youngest son was on Queen Sugar. That was all that was in Louisiana. We worked for a little over three years every month in Louisiana. The because their tax incentives were so good. Well, a state legislator who thought he knew better. He was from a county that wasn't benefiting from this. Uh, passed a bill to kill it. So a lot of that work in Louisiana moved to Atlanta. Atlanta took from several states. They got North Carolinas. They got Louisianas. And and so far, Georgia is very committed to having great tax incentives. So, yeah, they, I mean, you had the Vampire Diaries. You had the originals. Um, just so much Marvel. Tyler Perry, of course, Turner Enterprise has been there forever. Ted Turner, but that's Cartoon Network. That's still going strong. You you can go over to Atlanta and audition for voiceover for the Cartoon Network. I've done that. So there's just a lot of work. I'm going to tell you another thing, Charles. My students who live in Huntsville work the most. My students who live in Atlanta work second most, and my students who live in Los Angeles work the least. Because Los Angeles, you're a small fish in a giant ocean. In Atlanta, you can be a medium fish in a medium lake, but you're living outside the perimeter trying to pay your rent. In Huntsville, you have a big fish in a small pond. Well, that's and you have the lowest cost of living. <laughs> and and I've, I've had students that'll move from Huntsville to LA, and I'll say, don't do it. Now they're like, well, you did it, Bill. And I said, okay. If you have to do it, do it. And when I did it, that's the only way to do it. Now you don't have to do it. So I get it. If you just need to get it out of your system, go do it. But if you want to do this in a strategic way, live at home in North Alabama. And whenever you need to drive to Atlanta, you can go. It's, it's a normal commute. I used to drive from Pasadena to Santa Monica. It took three and a half hours in rush hour because you're going five miles an hour. Right. So three and a half hours is normal. If I drive from here to Atlanta in three and a half hours, it's the same thing. Right. It's a day. So live here, work there, keep save your money, don't waste it. I mean, I'm serious. People move to Atlanta and then they're like, Bill, I never have time to act because I'm always working two jobs to try to pay the rent. Like, I told you not to move over there. Now, it's a great city. I, I would love to live there. I, I don't, I, I, I'm not trying to say that like, I'm discouraging somebody from going, yeah, I doing something big. Understand? I just mean be comes... strategic, you know. Right. I mean, if if you feel called to go to Atlanta, go to Atlanta and, and, and be a city person. I, you know, when I went to LA, I had no fear. I was, I love living in Los Angeles. So I don't mean like you know be a small town person. I just mean be smart about your money, and uh, and it's just you know we have our our little situation in Huntsville, and then we can drive anywhere. The other thing is, I can work in New Orleans. And I, I can work in uh, Arkansas, and I can work in Richmond, Virginia. And there is a rule that the Union has about 500 miles, and Huntsville is centrally located. But Atlanta is farther than 500 miles to New Orleans, and Nashville is farther than 500 miles to New Orleans. And those people don't work in each other's cities often. Sometimes they do, but if, if the production company is enforcing that 500-mile rule, they're not hiring you if you're outside that boundary. And Huntsville's inside that boundary to a lot of places. So we can work anywhere. Well, going back, you know, you had this vision 
And, you know, I can imagine when you were talking to someone in L.A. saying, you know what, I'm going to Alabama, they probably thought, why in the world would you do that? And then you get here, and then you start your company, and then as it progresses 10 years later, three and a half hours away has become the biggest spot for film. That's right. So isn't that kind of odd? I'm a genius. I'm a you, prophet. You, I saw maybe it coming. So. Maybe no, you it's, are. that's a joke. <laughs> no, that year I was probably the world's best comedian because I could get a guaranteed laugh out of people. Right. I'm leaving Hollywood to move to Alabama to become a successful actor. Oh yeah, I got lots of laughs. That was very funny. Well, yeah, you, you dope, you <laughs> you nincompoop. And no, I I moved here, and of course it seemed, and that's why I'm, I go back to that dream. Maybe that dream was somebody talking to me, right? And no, of course I did not know that that was going to happen. And of course it was a huge risk and it just happened to pay off. But, but yeah, it does make me look prescient. I had a friend from Dothan, Alabama who moved to Hollywood and I met him out there. We were both cast. This lady was making a movie about the sit-ins during the civil rights era and she needed a couple redneck Alabamians. Believe me, I got cast in those kind of roles all the time. So I'm a, I'm a cop who's arresting people for sitting in at the lunch counter. And this other guy's playing the other cop. And I'm like, hey, I'm from Huntsville. He's like, hey, I'm from Dothan. So we became friends, and we knew each other out there. Well, he's one of the ones that thought I was silly. And I moved here, and I called him up. And I said, hey, man, why don't you come home to Alabama, and you can teach with me. Oh, he laughed and laughed and laughed. Why would I leave L.A.? I left Alabama. I don't, why do I want to go back? He's silly. And guess what happened? Two years ago... He announced on Facebook he was having a going-away party for all his friends in L.A. because he's leaving L.A. to move to the South. Oh, I called him up. I gave him the, I said, oh, really? Really? You're leaving Los Angeles now? Is that so? You've decided that the South is worth your, worth your time now? Oh, yeah, I gave him a hard time. He, and he's, he's now down here, and uh, we've worked together again. It's kind of cool. Oh, but there are pretty. a lot of... A lot of Los Angeles actors, teachers, agents, and casting directors moving to Georgia. It's amazing. Wow. Who would have ever thought that? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty great. Okay. Well, I do want to talk about Blue Plate Special. Oh, cool. So, um, it's been selected. Yes. Uh, for this year's Sidewalk Film Festival. So, can you tell us a little bit about that and... And also tell us exactly what the Sidewalk Film Festival is sure. and where it's at. Okay. The Sidewalk Film Festival is in downtown Birmingham. If you know where the Alabama Theater is, okay. that's kind of the, the hub of it. And then they use locations around that neighborhood within a few blocks of it. The Sidewalk Film Festival has been around the longest, and it's the largest of the film festivals in Alabama. In some ways, it's the real film festival in Alabama. And I, wanna, I do not want to insult the others, but it's... It's the one that's on the map. So if you were to go, like, for example, we network all the time. So we flew to Santa Monica last year for the American film market. And you're in a, a, a setting where you have uh, the people who do slam dance in Utah are talking. And somebody asked the question, well, what are the main regional film festivals? And they said Sidewalk was one of them. So they're on the map. So that's what I mean. So Sidewalk's awesome. 
Blue Plate Special was something that I started to conceive of a few years ago. And in some ways, it's influenced by a French film called A Bout du Soufflé, which is translated as Breathless in English, by a filmmaker named Jean-Luc Godard. And this miscreant man is on the lam from having committed a crime, and he hooks up with a girl. And so it, it was kind of in the 1960s, it was sexy. You know, it was a, a young man and a young woman who are trying to stay away from the law and, and just find crazy love, you know, whatever, whatever the sexual revolution was doing in France at that time. And Blue Plate Special is very different from that, but it has some vestiges of it. I actually knew a guy who was a little bit zany, and he was a, a bit of a prototype for this. It starts out at the Blue Plate Cafe on Governor's Drive, and I went to Jerry Sparks, and he gave me permission to film there, and, and uh, we hired one of his managers, and he's very generous. I cannot say thank you enough to him. And speaking of entrepreneurs helping each other out, this is, this is a big one. If anybody's listening and you own a business and you get asked by a filmmaker if they can use your location, be good to them. And if, if I'm doing it, I'll be good to you. So, you know, sometimes young filmmakers don't know how to treat the property well enough, but we will. And so we filmed at Blue Plate, and then, uh, then the location goes to the mechanic across the street on Triana Boulevard. And that guy was amazing. And then, and then the location went to our studio, too, over on Rising that we had at the time. And it's, it's a really quirky film, beautiful colors. We filmed it on an Airy Alexa mini camera. Uh, the Alexa is a camera that real movies use when they shoot digitally. A lot of movies are shooting digital now. There's still things like Star Wars still shoot on 35-millimeter film. But, of course, probably most films are shot digitally now, and they shoot on the Airy Alexa. So we filmed on that camera, the mini version of it, and we brought in professionals, and uh, oh, we just had the best time. So it's, I had confidence that it would get accepted. I was very happy when it did. Uh, it's very quirky. You know, this guy's outrageous. What he does is just insane, and you never know what's going to happen next. Well, I can't wait to see so, it. Well, great. I'm excited. Thank you. So let me just ask you this. When you're filming at a location, mm -hmm. so you get permission yeah, uh, just from whoever owns the property? Yes. You don't have to get a special permit if they give you permission Correct. to do that? So far in Huntsville, Alabama, and i got to tell you, I love it, and I, I pray that Huntsville doesn't change. You know, uh, I talked to Harrison Diamond at Mayor Battle's office about this. I said, please don't start imposing permits on us just so that we can look like we're a big city. Um, if a big movie like the Bollywood movie last year comes to town and you want to permit them, fine. The, the reason a city would do that is to maintain uh, some, you know, just control and, and, and get some revenue in. But, but I, a lot of times their uh, motive is they want to show themselves to be professional as a city. But when somebody at, at a local level wants to film, it's really better not to make them get permits. And right now, Huntsville doesn't, and it's wonderful. And there's a lady named Leah over at the city that does the planning of uh, stuff that you want to do. And then uh, we had a police officer who just retired, uh, Strahan, and he was our guy. 
So now that he's retired, we got to get a new guy. But Huntsville Police is amazing. And the Huntsville, city of Huntsville is amazing. And I cannot say thank you enough to the mayor's office. They accommodate me. We had to shut down a street to do a car stunt. The police let us do that and helped us. And, and you know, there might be a fee for that, but that's fine. And then we did it again on another day at another street for another car stunt. And the city of Huntsville could not have been more wonderful. They were wonderful. Yeah, we just filmed something again this month, uh, and we used the Voodoo Lounge on Southside Square. And we went to Lance, the owner of that, and rented that from him. And, you know, you take care of them. You pay them to rent the space, and you do it professionally, and you hire their uh, managers to babysit you, which is great. And then uh, the gentleman that owns the building next door, the accounting firm, that has that parking lot in back, they were very gracious to us. They were very, very kind to us to let us use to park our stuff. So, yeah, you filmmakers need to treat locations very well. And uh, it, it's a great symbiotic relationship that can help the city. You know, it's, It can be some revenue for the location. Depending on the size of the production, you know, if they have enough money to, to pay you to, to rent it, and then um, it, it it I'll tell you what it is too, Charles, is it showcases your business. Think about how many thousands and thousands of people are going to see Blue Plate Special. It opens with a picture of Blue Plate Cafe's yeah. sign on Governor's Drive. Right. And then the, that whole first act takes place in their dining room, and the wait, lady playing the waitress has a Blue Plate shirt on. With a little name tag on it. Tons of advertising for them. Then we go over to the mechanic, same thing. We're advertising for him. And so uh, now the Voodoo Lounge, when this new, this is not Blue Plate, it's this thing we filmed this month. It'll come out next year. Uh, it's going to make the Voodoo Lounge look beautiful. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that you would like to add to this interview as far as, you know, helping people understand entrepreneurship from your perspective? Don't give up. And, and the other thing, this is very common for entrepreneurs. I know what I do, but I don't know business. So, like, I know how to act. I know how to teach acting. I know how to counsel people. I know how to help careers. I, I can do that six ways to Sunday. But you may not know how to do bookkeeping. You may not know how to market. You, you, ha you don't have an MBA. You don't have a business degree. And I would tell people to start anyway. You know, that, that's the part that's scary. It's like, well, you know, if I could just do my skill, whatever the skill is of the people that's listening, I want to start a bakery and I want to bake pies. If I could just bake pies and that's all I ever do, then I'll be happy. But I don't know how to market and I don't know how to rent space. I don't know how to think about return on investment. I don't know how all these formulas. I would encourage them. Obviously, you have to learn. But you can learn as you go, and you you can make mistakes, and it's okay. And you can gather around you people who are skilled in those areas. You could hire an accountant. You could hire a marketing person. And if you don't have money, you could go to the Chamber of Commerce and get help. You know. And so, so I was one of those guys. I know how to act, and I know how to teach acting. But I don't know how to run a business. And I've learned as I as I go. I'm still learning. And I'm sure I do a lot of things incorrectly. Sometimes people will come to me and say, Bill, we've never heard of you before. And I'll say, I know. I'm not the best marketer in the world. I don't have all the best advertising in the world. We do a lot by word of mouth. We do a lot on social media. Um, 
but we're packed and uh, we make a living. This is all we do. You know, my wife quit her nursing job and she's a casting director and an acting teacher. Which is and fantastic. I'm an actor and an acting teacher. And that's all we do. And, and it's great that you can do it you know, together. You know, have, so you, have oh my goodness, pieces that come together. You know, that's kind of yeah. great, isn't it? It, it is. And we're, so we rely on like, each well, other. Okay, let's say I am making a lot of mistakes in marketing and advertising and whatnot. I probably probably making many. There's probably thousands of people in Huntsville who don't know I exist, but I'm doing the best I know how, and we're successful. So, and the other thing is I'm all, always open to good advice from people who know what they're talking about. You can't listen to everybody. Some you know everybody's going to give you their opinion. You got to you got to close your ears to a lot of that. But if there's somebody that's really wise and they really can help you, then listen to them. Then the, the key is discerning which is which. But yeah. Well, how do people find you? We're at 705 Stevens Avenue, and we're not always there. So they go to our website. is hollywoodhuntsville.com. My email is billbillions at gmail.com. Our email is a company's HollywoodHuntsville at gmail.com. Everything's so easy, right? HollywoodHuntsville.com, HollywoodHuntsville at gmail.com, BillBillions at gmail.com. Uh, and we have a Facebook page called Hollywood Huntsville that you can like. I have a fan page called BillBillions that you can like. Uh, I have a black and white friend profile that's full, so I have a color picture friend profile that you can friend me. Um, we're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. Uh, so... I think we're easy. We're in the book, 256-536-9447. Okay. Anybody wants to call us, 256-536-9447. It's time for the final question. So the final question is, uh, the final question asked is given to us by our previous entrepreneur. Our last podcast was with Susie with Susie Talks. Okay. So Susie asks, why did you decide to open your business in Huntsville? And I think you may have covered some of that. But why did you come back to Huntsville? It's home because I had three babies. They were zero, one, and two. And we were living in Los Angeles, and there's nobody named Billions west of the Mississippi River, and we needed help. So we came home to be near family. And uh, because, you know, back then there was no film industry anywhere in the South, so might as well move home. If I'd have done it today, I might have said Atlanta because that's, the Hollywood of the South. But I'm kind of thrilled that I came home because we have a niche. We, you know, we're, we're it in North Alabama. And, and you know, we draw people from Atlanta. We, have, we actually have students come from Atlanta, from Tennessee, from Mississippi, from, from Tuscaloosa, from Birmingham. And I'll say, well, you got acting schools in Atlanta. Why are you driving to Huntsville? And, and she said, because y'all are the best. I was like, oh, thank I mean, you so much. That just gives you great, and I can tell you, People in Huntsville are glad that we have Hollywood Huntsville. Thank you, Charles. I uh, appreciate it. Uh, okay, as we close, Bill, please write down your last question for our next guest and tune in to find out how they will answer it on the next episode of epitch.org. And thank you so much for being here. I greatly appreciate your time and energy, and this was fantastic for me. So Thank you, thank Charles. You. I had a great time. Thank I really you. appreciate you having me here. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. Please check out my website at epitch.org or anchor.fm epitch.org to listen to future podcasts and on my Twitter account, 
epitch.org to learn more about entrepreneurship. May these individual stories inspire you to do great things in entrepreneurship. Thank you. Thank you.